Software as a medical device, also referred to as SAMD, is one of the fastest growing innovations in the medical device industry. As with any technology that experiences rapid adoption, challenges related to intellectual property protection often follow. In this series, we take a close look at IP considerations that SAMD developers should be aware of and preemptively address. Today, we'll explore the interplay between IP and FDA submissions for SAMD. Finnegan attorneys Shana Sear and Susan Tull join us now. Shana, what is software as a medical device? FDA defines software as a medical device, or SAMD, as software intended to be used for one or more medical purposes that performs these purposes without being part of a hardware medical device. In other words, FDA defines SAMD as software that on its own is a medical device. According to FDA, SAMD generally uses an algorithm that operates on data input to produce an output intended for medical purposes. FDA has indicated that SAMD does not include software that drives or controls a hardware medical device even if the software and device are sold separately. SAMD also does not include software that retrieves information, organizes data, or optimizes processes. For purposes of this podcast series, we will also consider software embedded in hardware medical devices, even though it does not fit within the FDA's definition of SAMD. Susan, what are special considerations for SAMD-related filings? I think there are a few main considerations to bear in mind. The first, as part of the back and forth with the FDA and the approval process, the FDA may require changes to, for example, the product's indication for use, or there may be other changes that the FDA requires in order to obtain that clearance. And you always want to make sure that whatever intellectual property protection you're seeking, that those applications map to what your product is ultimately going to be. It's great if you have IP protections beyond that product, but you want to make sure that your protections map to what your cleared product is. So I would recommend that anytime the FDA requires a change to the indication for use or if there's any other change required, that a company or patentee revisit their pending IP applications or any applications that are in the work just to make sure that their product is still covered. Software is currently facing enhanced scrutiny under Section 101, the requirement for patentable subject matter. Patentees have to be sure that they are protecting more than just a mere algorithm, an abstract idea, or a law of nature. And we're seeing successful patent applicants identify additional structure in the claims and provide additional description of the specification to surpass this hurdle. And this is something that traditional life science companies who are entering into this space may not be familiar with based on their prior patent applications. And for software and technology companies that may not have dealt with the FDA before, they should certainly consider whether they have to disclose any products or applications that they identified in their FDA application. Any patent application has to comply with the duty to disclose any known relevant prior art to the patent office. An FDA application uh, can include an identification of what are called predicate devices, particularly those that the applicant identifies as being substantially equivalent. And so if you've identified products or, or software applications as substantially equivalent to the FDA as part of your FDA approval process, you should certainly consider whether you need to disclose those same products or applications to the patent office. 
And any time a patentee asserts their patent or a party looks to challenge someone else's patents, they're going to look for every possible defense, and they would also look for any instance where the duty to disclose was not met in order to argue that a patent is unenforceable for inequitable conduct. So you really want to make sure that you are not raising an issue for yourself simply by failing to consider those predicate devices that you've identified in your FDA application when you go to submit your patent application to the patent office. We're going to turn next to the question of combination products. Shana, as an initial matter, what is a combination product? Combination products comprise two or more different types of regulated components. That is a drug in a device, a biologic in a device, a drug in a biologic, or a drug, a biologic, and a device. These constituent parts can be physically or chemically combined into one product, packaged together, or packaged separately but intended to be used together. Examples of single-entity combination products include antibody drug conjugates, drug-eluting stents, and metered dose inhalers. Co-packaged combination products include vaccine vials packaged with delivery devices and first aid kits containing devices such as bandages and gauze with antibiotic ointments and pain relievers. Examples of cross-labeled combination products include photosensitizing drugs with activating lasers. If part of a combination product, what changes? SAMD that is not exempt is reviewed and regulated by FDA's Center for Devices and Radiological Health and may either be approved through a pre-market approval application or cleared through a pre-market notification. A pre-market approval application is the most stringent type of device marketing application required by FDA. FDA must approve the application before the device can be marketed, and approval is based on whether the application contains sufficient, valid, scientific evidence to assure that the device is safe and effective for its intended use. A pre-market notification, also known as a 510K, is a pre-market submission to FDA demonstrating that a device is substantially equivalent to a legally marketed device that is not subject to a pre-market approval application. If the SAMD is part of a combination product, it will necessarily also involve a drug, a biologic, or both. If the drug or biologic part, rather than the SAMD part, provides the product's primary mode of action, then the product will be assigned to either the Center for Drugs or Biologics and may require either approval through a new drug application or licensure through a biologic license application. Combination products involving SAMD with a drug may be eligible for five years or more of FDA marketing exclusivities that would not otherwise be available. They also may be eligible for listing in the FDA's Orange Book and for patent-related protections under the Hatch-Waxman Act. Combination products involving SAMD with a biologic may be eligible for 12 years or more of FDA marketing exclusivities that would not otherwise be available and they may be eligible for listing in the FDA's Purple Book and for patent-related protections under the Biologics Price, Competition, and Innovation Act. And Susan, once an application for clearance of a medical device has been submitted to the FDA, when does the clock start in terms of patents or other IP disclosures? When the FDA has cleared a medical device for 510K purposes, so it's received that 510K clearance, 
a 510K summary is published on the FDA's website. And at that point, the entire submission can be made available to the public pursuant to a FOIA request or a request made under the Freedom of Information Act. So that clearance date and the date the 510K summary is published on the FDA's website is the date that the application is viewed as public. That's a very important date in terms of the potential issues for prior art. You want to make sure that you are not going to create invalidating prior art to your patent application through your own FDA submission. And you want to be sure that you have your patent application in time so that you don't create a bar to your own patent via the publication of that application. And the FDA application, the 510K application, does include a lot of information. Certain trade secret and confidential information can be protected from disclosure in a 510K application, but there may be enough information in that 510K application that is made public that it could create an issue for a patentee. So you just need to be sure that your patent application is submitted more than one year before that date so you don't invalidate your own patent application under Section 102. And you also want to be sure that because the patent office is operating now on a first-to-file basis, you want IP protection and patent protection for anything in that 510K application because what you disclose becomes public with the publication of that 510K submission you want to make sure that your competitors aren't able to glean aspects from your 510K application that you haven't submitted to the patent office and try to get their own patent protections on your ideas and your 510K application. Patentees should also be aware of the length of time it takes to receive a patent. The average period of pendency in 2017 for a patent application was 33 months. The software space can move very, very quickly in terms of the evolution of technology as opposed to some of the life science and medical device industries that may have a longer product lifespan. So I think it's important in this space as well to just really consider the length of time for the FDA submission, for the pendency of the patent application, and a company should make sure that a patent application and a patent is the best protection for them in terms of the lifespan of their product, and also be sure to consider other forms of intellectual property protection, including trade secrets, copyrights, and design patents as well. Our guests have been Shana Sear and Susan Tull, attorneys at Finnegan, one of the largest IP law firms in the world. For more commentary on intellectual property news and issues, to listen to other podcasts, and to receive additional information on the firm, please visit www.finnegan.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Finnegan.